You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery. I just had one of the tribal members remind me of the Breaking Through Gravity series that I started up at the beginning of this month, I want to believe. And it was something I started up right before I launched into episodes every day. And because of what we discussed yesterday with the grief pattern inventory and intuitive versus instrumental, when I told him I was going to expand upon that subject today, he's like, oh, this sounds like it'd be great for the Breaking Through Gravity series that you started. And I will be more mindful to point those episodes out, just like I started Sober Shorties. Um, then I just launched into this daily without even really thinking about the repercussions of it on my time, or my energy. And it's been a blast. I, I do not in any way regret making that decision, but certainly it has taken a lot for me to, um, gather up material that I would think would be interesting for you all on a daily basis. And I think that this grief pattern inventory absolutely falls under the, Breaking Through Gravity series, as well as something that I think is very um, integral for us to understand about ourselves as we begin to shift from you know one version of ourselves to another. And because change is the only consistent we have in life, you're really just discovering more and more about yourself every single day as you journey from your active addiction into sobriety and into recovery. And so that's the whole point of the show, right? To help you journey from active addiction, from sobriety to recovery. And let's talk more about the grief pattern inventory because I've really begun to expand my mind on this uh, in many, many, many more ways than I even could have possibly have thought of yesterday. And what was really interesting is I hopped over to the Voxer chat where the tribe meets. And if you're interested in becoming a member of the tribe and communicating and having the support of other people just like you who listen to the show go to jessemogul.com slash ask me, and then you can uh, fill out one of the forms for the coaching. Uh, it will send over to me and I will reach out to you and we'll get on the phone. We'll talk and we'll see if you're a good fit for the tribe. And our uh, one of our Canadian ones, I reference her quite frequently. I, I make fun that she has next door neighbors that are bears. And she had posted things that uh, on the tribe, it was this meme that said things that don't happen overnight and building trust, moving past trauma, healing from losing someone, building new routines, changing your patterns, building a career, repairing a relationship. And when I saw this, I immediately saw healing from losing someone because I had jumped in there directly after shooting the podcast. I was like, yeah, healing from losing someone, that's part of the grief pattern inventory. So is moving past trauma, Uh, building new routines, building trust. All of these are part of the grief pattern inventory because when you're building new routines, you're saying goodbye to old routines. When you're changing your patterns, you're breaking old ones and you're saying goodbye to old patterns. When you're building a career, you might very well be saying goodbye to your old ways of behaving, of working, of relating with people, or perhaps you're saying goodbye to an old job that you no longer are going to be seeing these people that you saw on a regular basis. There's definitely loss there. Repairing a relationship. There's loss of the way that it once was, and now there's this whole creation of something brand new. And we hope that through the repairing that it solidifies and it's built upon a stronger foundation, 
I think of like uh, how Chicago is called the second city because it was built upon the ruins of, I want to say it was the 18 or 1906 fire, something like that. Um, San Francisco had a huge fire. They built it on top. Seattle is built on top of the ruins of its old city. So you hope that through the repairing process that you build it up even stronger and, and better than it was before, but there's still a grief that comes from what occurred that is now requiring there to be repairing, remodeling. And then building trust is coming face-to-face with the reality that in the past you were not honest. You were not somebody worthy of trust. Grieving the loss of the friendships or the love that came from breaking that trust. And then, you know, grieving through the process of just being willing to put yourself out there in a vulnerable way that allows the trust to be built. Because, There's going to be steps along the way where every infallible human you come across at some point is going to disappoint you. And there might be a grief about who you thought that person was versus who they actually are in the moment, knowing that who they were then is not who they have to be today and definitely not who they might be tomorrow, that everybody has the chance to make a different choice and choose to change today. Are we willing to provide them that space to make mistakes and then grow beyond them? It's very interesting when we think about uh, this idea about acceptance and forgiveness. And I did this whole long form video while I was walking 10,000 steps today because I needed to get some stuff off my chest. And I don't know if it'll ever see the light of day, but part of it was talking about acceptance and forgiveness and how our species in general, let alone just you know talking about our society here in the United States, seems to have an inability to accept people for who they are and then also forgive for you know uh, past misdeeds done by perhaps an actual person that's alive today or past misdeeds that were done you know a generation or five generations or twenty generations ago and it's not lost on me how difficult it is to forgive past generations for the wrongdoings that they've done. When we barely can forgive our parents for just not being perfect when we were children and giving us the most perfect childhood that anybody could ever hope, and for every interaction with a teacher or a peer or a friend or anybody wasn't just magically delicious, and therefore we have no trauma, we have no suffering, we just got to ride on this surfboard of happiness and puppy dogs and ice cream and unicorns shooting rainbows out of their asses. And the reality of it is, is that we're all just a bunch of screwed up humans, emotionally unintelligent, trying to figure out how to provide for ourselves. And if in the process, we're able to provide for other people, then that's a freaking bonus. But for a lot of us, we had parents who were even more disconnected from our emotions than we are today. We have more information. We have more logical responses. We have more data that we can comb through on social media and the internet. And if all else fails, Wikipedia to come up and say at least like, hey, here's a general idea of how you might be able to do this differently. Why don't you go out and try it? Back in the 70s, there was a book written by Spock, Dr. Spock. And his name was literally Dr. Spock. Well, at the time, there was a movie and a TV show called Star Trek with a guy named Spock. Well, I don't know how many people confuse the two, but I certainly did as a child when I saw that book in my house and I saw them making fun of it on uh, Raising Arizona, an old movie with uh, Nicolas Cage. Sorry, I did that to your ears. Remember John Goodman and Nicolas Cage trying to get that baby and this the hilarity that ensued from it? That book that they kept picking up was How to Raise Your Child by Dr. Spock. That was the guide 
for people in the 60s and 70s and whenever it came out. But definitely that era. That was the guide. In the 80s, it was like, have you read the Spock book? <gasps> you haven't read the Spock book? Then you're a horrible parent. That was it, guys. That was it. <laughs> Wasn't a whole lot of books that people were modeling parental behavior off of, but we certainly realized that we want, didn't want to keep raising our children in the way that we had raised them in you know, the previous parts of the 1900s. Now we have so much more information, and yet we consistently seem to be holding these grudges and holding ourselves back based off of what our parents did or did not do for us whenever we were children. And again, doing the best they could with the resources they have, considering that they were highly emotionally unintelligent as they were raised by highly emotionally unintelligent parents and grandparents and everything else themselves. If you are one of the blessed few who had an emotionally intelligent family raising you, then you should laud them and and be happy that that happened and then seek to continue that through your lineage. And now when we circle all this back to the grief pattern inventory, we start to realize that there are a lot of different kinds of loss, a lot of different kinds of sadness that we are going to experience in our lives. And for those of you who haven't gone back and listened to yesterday's episode or not, the grief pattern inventory, which is what I built all of yesterday's episode upon in a majority of today's, is a a psychological tool that counselors can use to help uh, an individual, a client, um, understand their grief and their response to their grief. It's, uh, there's some questions and there's some statements you can be listening for. And as you figure out whether the person is an intuitive griever or an instrumental griever, it just allows the counselor, the therapist, the coach to understand more about the client's emotional, cognitive, physical, and social dimensions of their grief. It's the insight that one can gain from understanding how a person copes with loss is just amazing. It's, it's, to me, it's crucial. I will, I will begin utilizing this throughout my coaching now because identifying areas that need attention or support is the point of a coach and a therapist and a counselor. So with this grief pattern index, whether it be various settings, uh, whether one-on-one or in group sessions or in Zoom calls, however it might play out, understanding how somebody presents their grief is instrumental in helping those that you desire to help manage and and navigate their grief. The the design of this is pretty simple. It's straightforward. There are intuitive grievers and there are instrumental grievers. Uh, An intuitive griever is primarily emotion-focused. They will express their emotions in a very deep way, very externally, um, in a very emotional manner. So if you've ever seen somebody who, uh, going through a loss, is expressing their emotions very much overtly externally, uh, crying a lot, uh, talking a lot, it, any kind of way that's just like, wow, this person's being super emotional. They're intuitive. Versus an instrumental griever who is much more prone to uh, holding the emotions inside. They're more cognitive thinking and understanding their way through the emotions of the loss. They want tasks, they want strategies. Uh, they want problem solving. That's how they are going to express their emotions. They will not more than likely express them openly. Now, one of the things that I did start to think about whenever I got done shooting last night's episode was you will have varying aspects of both of these within you. You might start off intuitive and express your emotions very much externally. And then as you move through the grieving process, come out 
towards the other side of it, seeking strategies and problem solving and coping mechanisms so that you can begin to put closure on the loss. Somebody who's instrumental might start off with the problem solving and the cognitive thinking and understanding of it. And as they begin to maneuver through the action steps they take in order to heal their loss, their grieving, then the tears might come. And I certainly remember this back when my mother died. It was very much like, okay, mom's dead. How can we get her to the funeral home? How can we get her cremated? How can we, when's the funeral? How can we take care of all these things? It became very much like a process for me. Um, And it wasn't until I saw her lying there dead in the funeral home, that's when I finally cried. And, you know, I talked to her and, you know, just, I did what I needed to do in that moment. And that's when I displayed it. And then I shifted back into instrumental and went back through the process of how can I help my sister? How can I help the rest of the family? What decisions need to be made? What action steps can I take in order to create the sense of closure that we all need? And again, it wasn't until months later that more tears came. Um, But honestly, I remember thinking, this is the saddest thing I'll deal with in my entire life. Why did I ever need to cry? I'm just burying my mom. And in fact, I put that limiting belief in my head and I've since had a very difficult time crying. And that was, you know, back in 2007 when we buried her. So you can actually create systems of coping within your head that could potentially hold you back from coping in a similar way in the future if you were to implant a limiting belief that this is the saddest thing I will ever experience. Nothing will be sadder. Why would I ever cry again? Well, I can assure you there are lots of levels of sadness and knowing how you're going to handle them and knowing how you display them will guide you into accepting you for you and how you choose to display your grief. And if other people question how you display your grief, you could even talk about this episode and say, hey, you know, I'm instrumental or I'm intuitive and this is how I display my grief. And both are very valid. Neither of them should be negated because it's all part of the process of healing. And the beautiful thing about any of this you know, and we think about grief. And yes, yesterday I very much painted this this very specific brush, this canvas of about it being about death or loss of a loved one in that kind of dramatic manner. But if you go back to what I said a few days ago about the good place and the traveler's ending and how I was sad about those, and it's okay to be sad about the loss of who you used to be. It's okay to be sad about things. No one gets to dictate to you what makes you sad. You can attach emotional meaning to so many things in life. And part of the beauty of stepping into sobriety and recovery is feeling our emotions again in like a real raw manner without the ambivalence that comes from being intoxicated, from being high. Therefore, as we begin to feel these emotions, they're going to show up in some very peculiar places that we may have not have thought previously that they would ever even exist, such as saying goodbye to two TV shows. Like, it mattered. I got very attached to to uh, Eleanor and to Jihani Jianyu and to Chidi Edeguanye and, you know, the travelers from the future coming back to help the past. It's like, I got attached to them. I enjoyed them. They taught me a lot. And I'm allowed to feel sad if that's what I feel. And it's I want you to also understand that the grief pattern inventory and understanding if you're intuitive or instrumental works on a lot of levels for a lot of different emotions. 
you will express your emotions internally and try to figure out strategies to maneuver through them, or you'll be very external and people around you will know that you're sad. And it could be sad. It could be at the end of a TV show. It could be because a recipe doesn't come out correctly. It could be because somebody shows up late to a lunch or cancels outright. It could be because your uh, dog got lost in the woods and it took you three days to find them. It could be because of a blown out tire on the way to an important meeting, not getting a job, not hearing about a job in time enough, having a relationship end. Loss and grief and sadness and disappointment, they show up in so many variations in our life to think that we only are allowed to feel grief when someone dies is limiting and it's blocking us from actually processing emotions as they're happening and accepting ourselves for the beautiful human being we are, that we get to experience emotions, that we get to be conscious about them and think about them or express them. The power of understanding ourselves never dissipates. We will continuously evolve and grow and change as that's the only constant throughout our entire lives. Being able to do it through the beauty of a sober lens and that of someone in long-term addiction recovery, that's majestic if we choose it to be. Or we can sit here and think that we need this inanimate object to fulfill some void inside of us. And when we think about how difficult it is to release our parents from the guilt or the shame or the anger we might have about how we were raised, realize that how they were raised was ultimately what they took as a sign of how to raise you. They may have completely rejected how they were raised. Like I was, I was raised by two parents who were beaten severely as children. Well, that was not what I experienced. Yes, it was a very calm, conversational explanation of the circumstances of my actions that's leading to the belt. And it happened maybe 10, 15 times. And yes, it's as at a youthful, ripe age of eight to 12, it was difficult for me to understand why I was getting the switch or why I was getting the belt. Now that I'm older and I'm able to process those experiences differently, I realized that it was done for the benefit of my own personal being and safety. And whether you agree in that kind of punishment or not, I think we are certainly seeing within our society what happens whenever there isn't that kind of fear of punishment? And how do we go about creating new ways of punishing children for not behaving so that they understand that the ramifications of their actions have circumstances and that rules need to be followed for the betterment of their own safety and well-being? I'm not saying we need to go back to whipping kids' asses by any stretch of the imagination, but clearly giving them carte blanche to do whatever the hell they want whenever the hell they want has created a sense of entitlement, and that's going to bring about its own levels of dysfunction whenever they get older. And then they're going to look back and wonder why their parents didn't raise them better, even though at the time the parents were doing the best they could with the resources they had. So therefore, I was raised the best I could be with the resources my parents had. Well, I now, right here on this microphone, choose to release them from any of the trauma, the suffering, anything that I have once looked down upon them for doing to me, around me, near me, within the scope of my existence and self-awareness. Mom and dad, you are released. It is not your fault that I got into cocaine and LSD and alcohol and all the other drugs and fun for 22 years. It's not. It's not. I could have chosen differently and I just chose not to choose differently.
I remember looking down at that cigarette and saying, Jesse, if you light this up, you are now addicted to them. And I sure as hell load up that, lit up that cigarette and walked my happy ass to Western Civ with Mr. Barber. I did it. I chose these things. The things that I didn't choose are now my responsibility to heal, but I release the perpetrators and from my past because whatever they did is not something that I can continue holding on to today. There is grief. There is sorrow. There is sadness within us all. It is within me, and I've been on this journey for seven years. It does not just magically go away. But understanding that I'm intuitive and that I want processes and strategies to heal and understanding that there are times where I will definitely get angry and I will yell and I'll be more intuitive, understanding these things about myself is powerful. It adds dimensions to my character. It brings about the real me. And I do not want to scream at people in their face. I do not want to do that. And when I catch myself doing that, I will do my best in that moment to reel it in to roll it back and realize that there are there are positive, desirable ways to intuitively show grief and less desirable ways to intuitively show grief. Yelling and screaming and getting angry at somebody because something I wanted to happen didn't happen or something I didn't want to happen did happen isn't going to solve the ultimate history of what occurred. It happened. Time machines don't exist because if it did, we would literally collapse time on itself because we'd be going back two minutes ago and changing what we just said, let alone trying to go back and make sure Walter Payton got a touchdown in Super Bowl 20, let alone trying to go back and, you know, not start, uh, try to stop the crack or the AIDS epidemic from happening in the 80s or all of the horrible things that we did to each other in the 60s and 70s during the social justice movement. And don't even get me started on what differences we would have done in the 1920s that potentially would wouldn't have led to an economic collapse in this country and poverty on a level we've never seen. And I'm not even getting in to all of the things humans did against one another in the 1800s, because that's just a whole beehive of things that are going to require way more time than I currently have to talk about. My point to all of this is I release it all. People did the best they could with the resources they had. I am allowed to grief the loss of what I hoped would be because what is, is what is. What am I going to choose to do today differently in order to create the life that I desire? Am I going to literally allow other people's behavior to change the way I behave towards them or to other people who look like them? No. If someone's a dick to me, then okay, I don't want that person around me anymore, but I'm not going to lash out and scream in their face because you know what? That's not going to change anything. We have opportunities every single day tens upon tens, if not hundreds of them, to choose the course of our actions, to change the direction of our life. Grief will happen. Sadness and sorrow will occur. You might feel them five times today. How you choose to display them, how you choose to express them, how you choose to feel into that, whether it's through processes and strategies and thinking or in expressing, that's you and you alone and feel into it. And if somebody is confused by it, then you can explain to them what I've taught you today, or you can just simply say, this is me being me. And if you can't embrace me in this moment, I am more than happy to walk over there and be embraced by someone else or the wall or my dog or whomever. The world is full of atrocities and despicableness all around us. Holding on to that vitriol that you feel on the inside is drinking poison and hoping that somebody else dies. 
I don't want anyone to drink poison. I don't want anyone to die. I want everyone to feel loved and accepted. And is that a world that we currently live in? Uh, I don't know about that one. But is it a world that we could choose to create where people's emotions are valid and loved and, and vulnerability is embraced? That would be awesome. Where people who are who they are and you can listen to their opinions, values, and beliefs and you don't have to condone them, let alone take them on. You can just allow that person to express. See, we do live in at least the United States, a country that proclaims freedom of speech. But there are also consequences to that speech. We never claimed that there weren't, there weren't consequences. We never said, hey, you have freedom of speech, and congratulations, you have freedom from consequences. Because having consequences is what keeps us in line. It's what hopefully guides us to treating each other with love and respect and kindness. It's what has us smiling at people that we've never met. Because you know what? I would rather smile than frown. I would rather be a friendly stranger than an angry enemy. Or what is it? Than, a, than an angry stranger, right? I'd just rather people just say, you know what? That, that dude seems like he's got a good energy. And we're going to have loss. And I'm going to close up on this. As we move into the holidays, a lot of the reasons why it's triggering is because of the grief we have about things that happened in the past not being what we wanted them to. A relative not loving us the right way, a gift not given, a need not fulfilled. Feel into that. And if you need a process, then you're instrumental in the moment. And if you need expression, then you're intuitive in the moment. However you choose to feel and express, that's beautiful. And sadness and sorrow during the holidays, especially when we've had a rough go of things for many, many, many years, that could be the pattern loop that you are in. But you can choose a different pattern loop today. You can choose to go to the mall and listen to the music carols. Listen to Oh Holy Night as loud as possible in your car and sing along like you're Pavarotti, even though I am not Pavarotti. The triggers that we feel during the holidays are coming from past things and past baggage being relit around the holidays because we have so many anchors to our past experiences around the holidays that get triggered as we move through this month. Yes, those things happened and it sucks. And I'm sorry that those things happened to you. But we can also choose to feel into the grief and the sorrow and the sadness. Go back into those past memories, leaving the trauma and the suffering there where it belongs and bringing the lesson. And maybe the lesson is just that you're older now and you have more resources to help you navigate the emotions that we feel. It could be a myriad of things that the lesson comes from, but I'm no longer going to hold on to grudges and be angry towards people about things they did to me in the past because it's not benefiting me here today. I will grieve the loss of the things that I feel sorrowful, sorrowful around, and I will do that in my way. And I will embrace being sad that the good place and the travelers ended. And you know what? Also joyful in the fact that anytime I want to go back and revisit those characters, that they are there waiting for me. I wish everything could be as easy as a TV show. Hit play, hit pause, rewind, fast forward, go back to the beginning and start it all over again and enjoy it and embrace it as if it was all new. Life isn't like that. Adam Sandler had a remote movie called uh, Click, and I think it was all about, I don't think, I know, it was all about a remote that he could use to fast forward and pause and rewind his life, and things did not go well whenever he had that in his hand. 
life moves forward the way that it does, specifically so that we don't try to go back and screw with things. It is what it is. What happened, happened. Feel into your grief. Realize there are there's more variables around grief, sorrow, and sadness than there are atoms in the universe. Feel into all of them. Embrace all of them. Express them the way you desire them to be expressed. And then provide yourself whatever closure feels like, looks like, sounds like, tell, tastes like, smells like to you. Whatever it takes, realize that it's what's ahead that matters the most. And how you're going to live your life tomorrow is going to be created today. Your patterns of behavior from the past, they might be a map, but they do not have to be your North Star. You are the you today that makes the changes and the difference in your life now in order to have the life you've only believed was in your dreams as part of your reality tomorrow. Feel into it. Love one another. Be kind. Smile at strangers. If we start to take actions like that, we can create the world we've always desired to live in now rather than waiting for the next generation to figure it out for us. Because who the hell says they're going to be able to figure it out any better than we did if we're the ones raising them? Inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine. Shout out to Robert. Glow on. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.